0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message.
1: Good morning, everyone. My name is Mbwia Pedro, B. And this Advent candle represents Christ. I would be reading from the Bible passage from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, What the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I would like the congregation to join me in a quick prayer that will be up on screen everlasting God your son is the light of the world your son is the way the truth and the light lead us by your light and truth looking for Jesus let us find him looking for Jesus we are found first amen thank you
0: I might just let Mo preach one day I mean he's got that preaching voice huh well, good morning again. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name's Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church, and uh, I think it's okay to say this again. Merry Christmas, right? We are I mean, we're two days away, right? We, we celebrated Christmas in my house yesterday because we're getting ready to spend this day and a little bit of tomorrow traveling, and so, you know, my kids were up at some God-awful time, uh, ready to open presents and experience Uh, that element of Christmas. And so here we are two days away. If you've been with us over these last few weeks, we've been looking at these um, central themes of Advent, right? Things like hope and peace and joy. And then how many of you were here on Wednesday night? What an incredible night, right? Where we talked about the love of God. And so today, there's no better way to culminate uh, Advent or the Christmas season than talking about Christ himself. right? Over the last few weeks when we've been talking about Advent, one of the things that we've been talking about is that first coming of Jesus. right? That's what we celebrate in, at Christmas time. That's why we read passages like Matthew 1 and hear stories of the birth of Jesus. But we also celebrate his return. When Jesus is going to return and everything that he promised and we saw a little bit of a taste of in his first coming will, to, will come to complete fruition when he returns, coming as a ruling and reigning king, setting all things right. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to turn to the last prophecy that we're going to look at in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. If you have a Bible, uh, lift up your hand, or if you don't have, if you have a Bible, you don't need to lift up your hand. Uh, wow, it's almost Christmas, right? If you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would get you a copy of God's Word as a gift from us to you. Also, the words will be on the screen. We're going to be reading about the the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. Now listen, here's the reality about Christmas, right? The reality is that there is a need that every single one of us in this room have. and And, and here's the challenge for you and I. How many of you Uh, and maybe you don't want to admit this, how many of you are hard-headed, stubborn people? I'll just go ahead and admit it. A few years ago, this was like three or four years ago, uh, I got really sick. I'm a a little congested now. You can probably uh, hear it in my voice. I got really sick. I'm a type 1 diabetic, and uh, uh, a few years ago, I caught hand, foot, and mouth from my kids, right? So don't believe the lie. Okay, the lie is, as an adult, you can't catch hand, foot, and mouth. That is a bold-faced lie. You can, okay, and it's painful. And so I'm laid up in the the bed, I'm sick, I'm vomiting, I have a fever, I feel miserable. And then all of a sudden, something kind of happens and I start to feel a little better. Now, all along, I'm sick and I don't care about anything. I literally uh, was just laying in bed. I also wasn't watching my blood sugars, okay? Now, here's the thing you need to know about diabetes. When you're sick, your blood sugars elevate, okay? So my blood sugar's getting high, I'm starting to feel better, but then all of a sudden I take a swing for the worst, and it gets really bad. I'm running into the bathroom, here's some details you don't want to know, I'm vomiting blood, I mean it's like terrible, and the whole time I'm thinking, this is just a stomach bug, this is just a stomach bug, I get over these, I'll be okay, I'll be okay. And then it came to this one morning where I went and I took a shower, and after I got out of the shower, I was just laying on the bathroom floor, because that's really all I could do. And Rachel, my wife, was like, don't you think it's time to go to the doctor? I was like, I'm going to wait till the afternoon. I'm going to wait. I'll call and make an appointment. And then I'm laying there for another five minutes, and I'm like, I don't feel very well. This isn't getting any better. So finally, we called a friend because my kids had hand, foot, and mouth, so my wife couldn't leave. My friend took me to the ER. I go to the emergency room. And uh, immediately, as soon as I tell the nurse that I'm a diabetic, she knows exactly what's wrong with me. I had diabetic ketoacidosis, which basically means where your, your blood begins to turn acidic. Now, over a period of time, that will kill you. And literally, the only way that I was going to be okay was to go to the hospital, get an IV drip of fluids, because I was super dehydrated, and get an IV drip of insulin, because that was how controlled my blood sugar needed to be. I couldn't control it on my own to get it down. Now, remember, what did I say at the beginning of that sickness? I can kick this thing. I've I've had this stomach bug before. I've been sick before. I can kick this thing. And I quickly came to this realization, having diabetic ketoacidosis in the ICU, because they had to monitor me that closely, that I actually can't kick this thing. (laughs) This is going to require an outside source, somebody else to come in and help me. And that's the Christmas story for you and I. We have this major issue in our life. We have this problem in our life that we are separated from God by our sin and contrary to what you and I think, whether we're hard-headed or not or whether we think we're hard-headed or not, right, is that we can do nothing to get us back to God. We need an outside source to come in and take care of us. And in Isaiah 9, that's exactly what the prophet prophesies. Isaiah 9 was written uh, in actually a promising time of the kingdom, but they were about ready to go into captivity. And there's a promise of a coming Messiah. I just want to read two verses that many of you might be familiar with. It's going to be on the screen, but it's in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Starting in verse 6, For to us a child is born. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I think for us today, December 23rd, the most appropriate thing for us to do as we think about this Christmas season and close out this Advent season is to simply go back and ask ourselves this question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Because here's the reality. for There's two kinds of people in this room. There's the person that knows who Jesus Christ is and simply needs to be reminded of who Jesus is and how incredible the story of the gospel is. And there's some of us in this room who think we might know who Jesus is, but really, we really don't. And we need to hear for the first time about the identity of Jesus and what Jesus has provided for us as we celebrate Christmas. So, the first thing that I want us to see this morning, and just simply answering this question, who is Jesus? From Isaiah 9, in verses 6 through 7, this is what we see Christ is first truly man. If you look back in Isaiah 9 through 6, it says this For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. To be a child, to be a son, is what? To be human, right? And what Isaiah is prophesying about is that this coming Messiah was going to be a child. And I don't know if you caught this, what, what, the, what the prophet says about this child is pretty crazy and ridiculous, right? Most children uh, can't have the government upon their shoulders or be called Wonderful Counselor or Mighty God or Everlasting Father or Prince of Peace. This is a special child. This is a different child, The New Testament describes the coming of Jesus as truly man in this way. These are New Testament Christological hymns. It's just a big fancy word for being about Christ. Look at Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Paul's writing about Jesus and he says this, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but did what? Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of what? Okay, participation here. There we go. Men, and being found in what? Human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at John 1, 14 through 18. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The emphasis on the humanity of Jesus is so important. And this is what's interesting. I'm going to kind of uh, spill the beans a little bit, right? That Jesus is not just fully human. He's what? Fully God. And what's interesting in our culture, in our context today... The issue is not with Jesus' humanity, but with his divinity, his deity, the fact that he was God. But do you realize in the ancient world, when the Gospels were being written, when the New Testament was being written, the issue was not with his divinity, but with his humanity. People are like, no no way Jesus, no way could Jesus, the Son of God, be fully human. And what the New Testament does over and over again, even in 1 John 1, which we didn't, we're not going to turn to, but go there. 1 John 1, and you can see it for yourself. John says this, we testify about what we have seen and heard and touched. Why is that so important? Because Jesus putting on flesh is absolutely essential for you and I. The incarnation could be Uh, defined in this way, right? The enfleshing or becoming flesh, the the union of human nature with the divine in one person. Why is the incarnation important? Because of this. Only a human being could be a substitute and representative for sinful humanity. Right, there's this reality that God himself without putting on flesh, cannot represent us. Why? Because he's completely unlike us. Now listen, I'm gonna share with you some metaphors and analogies, and they all fall short when you're talking about Jesus, right? But I think it helps for us. Last week, I was watching the, uh, the Saints game, right? Where they're, who they play last week? I already forgot. Carolina. Carolina, how could I forget that? Crybaby Cam Newton. Anyways, <laughs> So we're watching this game, and I don't know if you noticed, Max Unger, our center, came out of the game, right? He got a concussion. Now, what did they do? Did they put in another quarterback? They say, okay, we got a quarterback. I mean, they might have put in uh, Taysom Hill, because he plays literally every position. You seen that meme? What position do you play? I play football. They didn't put in a quarterback. They didn't put in a wide receiver. What did they do? They put in their backup center, right? Why? Because in order for, them to, for that person to play that position, you have to uh, have the similar body type, the similar structure. You have to know how to play that position. That backup center was able to fill in for Max Unger because he was like Max Unger. You and I, Jesus stands in our place. Why? Because he's like us. He represents humanity because he was fully man, fully human. It's so important for us to recognize and realize that Jesus is God incarnate. He was man. And even today, sitting at the right hand of God, Jesus will forever be fully human, he still has flesh. Now, we celebrate Christmas because Christ is like us, but the other significant part of this story and the identity of Jesus is that he's not just completely like us, he's also completely unlike us. Christ is not just fully human, fully man, but he's also fully what? God. Jesus is fully God. Look at Isaiah 9 again. In that text it says, and his name shall be called what? Mighty God, everlasting Father. Now, now here's the reality, right? In the time of Isaiah, when Isaiah is writing this prophecy, I mean, this prophecy had something to say about a coming king, right? But here's the reality. In, In Israel, no king, not even King David, who was the most celebrated and looked at king, the one that everyone wanted to be like, every king wanted to model, no king, no human would be called things like Mighty God and Everlasting Father. Those were identifiers, those were markers that were only given to God. So Isaiah 9 is telling us something unique about this coming Messiah, this coming King. Look back with me at those New Testament Christological hymns that speak about this coming King, this Jesus Look at Philippians 2.6. We just read five through eight. And we read this passage too. Who though he was in the, what? Form of God. Did not count what? Equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Do you know why he could, he could have considered equality with a God to be grasped? Because he was God. Because he is God. Look at Colossians 1.15-20. Paul writes this about Jesus. He is the, what? Image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were, what? Created. Do you know there's only one person, one being who can create? God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the what? Fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Go back to John 1 again. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word. The word is a, a word in, the, in Greek, philosophy, Greek philosophy, but also in the Hebrew world that came to mean this coming Messiah. So it's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, again, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not only does Isaiah prophesy about this coming king being more than just man, but the New Testament over and over and over again demonstrates for us the divinity of Jesus. Why would we we worship Jesus? Not just us. Why in the New Testament, these people who were thoroughly Jewish, completely Jewish, who held to a monotheistic idea of God, meaning that there's only one God, why would they worship Jesus? Because they recognized That this Jesus is not just fully human, but he's fully God. And if he's God, then he deserves worship. Why was it necessary? We've already talked about the incarnation and why was it necessary for God to become human or put on flesh? I, I want us to look at this a little different. Why was it necessary for God to become human? Because only a perfect substitute could remove sin and appease the wrath of God. Yes, you and I, we need someone like us, right? Like that center who's able to step in and be that second string player. We need someone like us that can represent us, be us on our behalf. But at the same time, we need somebody completely different. Because you and I, we can't, number one, stand in for ourselves, and number two, stand in for anybody else. Because we're completely broken and sinful before God. And therefore, we need somebody who's what? Perfect. Only God can do that. Only God can stand in in our place. It's, It's like this, again, broken analogy, but it helps us understand. I mean, how many of you ever bought anything and you had a loan and you maybe had someone co-sign for you? Right? Why did you have somebody co-sign for you? Because you didn't have the credit on your own to be able to purchase that car or that house or whatever it might be. Or maybe you were fortunate enough to have somebody literally say, you know what, I'm going to step in and buy this on my credit for you. And this is what this is what the New Testament, this is what Isaiah is trying to show us is that we can't earn our salvation on our own credit. We can't reconcile ourselves back to God. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You can't get back to God on your own. And so Jesus comes as God to be that perfect being who can stand in our place. Now all of this is, all of this is kind of uh, you know, a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what we really get to when we think about Christmas. Why is it important? If it's, just, if it's just for us to know that Christ is truly God and Christ is truly human or truly man, if that's it, we fall short. Because there's a reason that Christ is both fully God and fully human. Because Christ is also this, truly salvation. Go back and look at Isaiah 9. The things that it says about this person. It says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These are things, listen, to bring peace, to bring peace to our world and peace that does not have an end, to bring and rule in justice and righteousness That is salvation, right? Because when we think about our world, here's what we see. I mean, think about all of the political stuff going on, not just in our country, but in our world. All of the different nations warring against one another. All of the people, all the relationships that are broken on on an interpersonal level. All of those things are the effects of the fall of sin. But the issue, those are not the core issue. The core issue is that humanity created in the image of God to be loved by God and to be one with God has to have a broken relationship with that God. And the source, the, the foundation of our theology and understanding what Christmas means is that God would come and reconcile God with man. And here's the thing, when God is reconciled with us, when we are reconciled with God, when our relationship is right with God, then our relationship with one another can be right. Then our, our relationship with groups of people can be right. Our relationship with the world can be right. At the heart of what Isaiah 9-6-7 through, 6 through 7 is saying is, listen, the Messiah is going to come, Jesus was going to come and make literally all things right. That's why the story of Christmas is so incredible. But it's a reminder for us, listen, if you don't think you're sick, it doesn't matter what you don't think. I'm lying on the bathroom floor thinking, I can beat this. (laughs) If I would have laid there for a couple more days, guess what would have happened? I would have died. What the story of Christmas reminds us is we cannot do it on our own this man named Jesus must come as fully man and fully God to provide a way that you and I might have salvation. So as we think about this this morning, I just want us to think about what salvation means. I want to give you four images that I think help us understand the concept and the idea of salvation. Number one, salvation means this, love. The coming of Jesus demonstrates the love of God for us. This is what we talked about on Wednesday night at A Vintage Christmas. Look at some of these passages. John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world. So if he loved the world, how did he demonstrate that love? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his what? Love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ Died for us. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we have loved, but that he did what? Loved us. How did he demonstrate that love? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, God's love, not our merit, is the source of salvation. There is absolutely nothing you can do to earn God's love. Nothing. God already loves you. Being created in the image of God, sending his son Jesus, that is a demonstration of God's love to you. And it's our responsibility. This is on us, whether or not we are going to accept God's love. I love my kids. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will literally do every single thing that I can do for them. But if they reject my love, it doesn't mean my love isn't there. Right? My love is there and it's present and it's up to them to accept my love. God has demonstrated his love for us in the sending of his son Jesus. It's on us to receive that love and to accept that love. Salvation means love. Number two, salvation means sacrifice. Often when we talk about sacrifice, the big fancy theological idea is this, penal substitutionary atonement. Remember that one? That's a Christmas word, okay? Christmas phrase. Penal substitutionary atonement. So when you have Christmas dinner, hey, have you guys heard about the penal substitutionary atonement? This is an important concept and theme for Christmas this year. You guys you realize now that how, nerd, how nerdy I am, right? What is penal substitution? One theologian defines it like this On the cross of Christ, on the cross, Christ took our place and bore the equivalent punishment for our sins, thereby satisfying the just demands of the law and appeasing the wrath of God. All of this comes from this, uh, this Old Testament background, right? That the people of Israel, when they sinned, they would take an animal and they would, sa- they would send that animal to the, to the temple for the priest to sacrifice it. The animal stood in their place. And oftentimes, the person would be told to put their hand on the animal and confess their sins on that animal. And that when the animal was slaughtered and sacrificed, God would see that sacrifice and his, the sin would be removed, and his wrath against that sin would be appeased. That whole concept and idea is wrapped up in Jesus, him being our, truly our salvation. That Jesus' death on the cross not only demonstrated his love for us, but through his death, through his sacrifice, he, we were caught, his, our sins, every single one of our sins was placed on Jesus. And as those sins are placed on Jesus and he dies and his blood is shed, literally our sins are removed and the wrath of God that is against us because God is holy and we are not, therefore God does not, he can't condone sin. His wrath against that sin is removed. And all of a sudden, in, in Jesus' sacrifice for us, God no longer sees our sinful self but he sees Jesus, his pure and holy self. That's what sacrifice means. That's what salvation means. Look at Hebrews 10 11 through 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's referring to the Old Testament. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. How many of you have ever seen the movie Man on Fire? Anybody? It's not a Christmas movie, I'm sorry. But you could turn it into one maybe if you just watch it during the Christmas season. It becomes a Christmas movie. It's an incredible movie. It's got Denzel, so how can you not love it? Uh, It is rather violent, okay? So I'm not condoning all of the violence in the movie. However, it's an incredible movie. And in this movie, this is like right there at the end of the scene. The story goes like this. Uh, They're in Mexico. This little girl's family is rich, and um, she's half Hispanic, half uh, American. And what's happening in, in Mexico City is... Kids from wealthy families are being kidnapped. And so they hire a bodyguard who is, obviously, Denzel Washington, right? What else would he do, right? So he's the bodyguard. And the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to so, uh, spoil the story for you, okay? So just, if you don't want to hear this, close your ears and wait till we get to the end. Uh, they set up the, uh, the uh, kidnapping so that the father can get a ransom because he's in a lot of financial trouble. Well, they find that out in the movie. The, the kidnapping goes bad and the girl's not going to get released, and literally at the end of the movie, they come to this place where literally the, uh, Denzel's character says this, a life for a life. And literally what happens here, he's on the one side of the bridge, she and the kidnappers are on, on the other side of the bridge. And the only way the girl gets released is if he gives himself up for her. At the end of the movie, she comes and they embrace, and they, you know, she knows what's about to happen. She goes to her mom on the other side, and Denzel goes with the kidnappers. He gets in the car, and they they drive off with him. And you know what's going to happen? That's sacrifice. That's a picture for you and I of what it looks like for what Jesus has done for us. The only way for Jesus for us to be saved, for us to be ransomed back. It's a life for a life for him to take our place. Salvation doesn't just mean love and and sacrifice. It also means this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. When we think about forgiveness, yes, we think about the idea of sacrifice that God, that Jesus stood in our place and by him standing in our place, our sin is removed and we are reconciled with God. Look at Ephesians 1.7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. What? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I mean, that's the thing about forgiveness, right? Every single one of us in this room have probably wronged somebody. If you're married or in any sort of uh, significant relationship with another human being, chances are you've wronged somebody or you've been wronged and you've had to forgive somebody. It's not easy, right? But when you're forgiven, when you're truly forgiven, what you've done in the past is completely removed, Right, no longer, there. it's not real forgiveness if whatever you've done in the past is being held over your head. Well, you remember when you did that? I can't trust you after 10 years because you did that 10 years ago. And what the Bible is saying about Jesus and our salvation is that forgiveness occurs and when forgiveness occurs, our sins are removed and we're made righteous before God and we're reconciled to God. So when God sees us, just like I said, he sees Jesus. And he's no longer dangling our sin over our head. Hey, do you remember what you did here? You sure I can love you? He doesn't do that. Our sins are forgiven. The Psalms say our sins are forgotten. They're driven as far as the east is from the west. Jesus came. He became fully God and fully human that you and I could be Completely forgiven. What does salvation mean? The last thing is this victory. I don't know about you, but I've been I, I love an epic movie, right? We were We were kind of brainstorming this uh, in our staff meeting this week and I started thinking about these movies, Braveheart. Come on, Braveheart. Gladiator. Somebody said the Patriot. and, and Pastor Brick was like, um, you realize all of those movies are like macho. Man movies. I so said, What's the problem? So then they were like, so many of them in, in the audience might not quite understand because they've never seen those movies. And someone literally brought up brought up legally blonde. <laughs> but hey, it's there's a there's a winner in the end, right? There's this good story. This person is redeemed and there's victory at the end, regardless of your taste of movies. We all love those stories. When the good guy wins, when there's victory, whenever somebody's been wronged, comes out right in the end. And the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus coming to us is that victory. It's, it's the feet of sin, death, and Satan, all of the things that plague you and I. Look at uh, Colossians two thirteen through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Number one, if you're dead, you're what? You're dead. There's nothing you can do. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, so our sin and our death is taken care of. How did he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Literally, it's like taking all of our sins and putting them on a a a white erase uh, board and taking a marker and saying, they're gone. He canceled the record of debt. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, that is, Satan and our enemies, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Sin, death, and hell, and Satan all defeated. The things that wage war against us, the reason we're broken and hurting and in need of so much in our world, all of those things, the Christmas story reminds us, is over because of what Jesus has done. I don't know about you, but that's something I want to celebrate. Not only is there the defeat of all of these things, but there's then the restoration of all things. Humanity with one another, humanity with creation, and ultimately humanity with God. Look at Colossians 1, 19 through 20. We, we read this already, but I want to read it again. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to do what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The story of Christmas is that, yes, Christ came to earth. He was fully human, fully God, and provided salvation fully for you and I. Because of Jesus, we can experience what it looks like to be loved, what it looks like to experience sacrifice, what it looks like to have forgiveness of our sins, and one day we will fully and completely experience victory. What it looks like for sin, death, hell, and Satan, all of our mortal enemies against us, what those will look like, and then for there to be full restoration, everything that God intended to be back as it was. And that broken relationship that you have with somebody will be healed. The wars that countries fight against one another where innocent people constantly die will be over. And you and I will be completely and fully reconciled before God, standing in his presence, worshiping him for all of eternity. That's the story of Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas. For you and I this morning, I think that there's literally two responses to this message. Will you trust in Jesus? And will you worship Jesus? Like I said at the beginning of this sermon, for some of us in this room, it's recognizing that we are actually sick and in need of forgiveness. We are broken and needing reconciliation with God. And the only way to do that is to trust in Jesus, to recognize that that baby who was born in that manger in the city of David in Bethlehem came for you, came for me, came for us. The Bible talks about repenting of our sins, turning away from our sins, and in faith, trusting Jesus that his, not only his birth, but his life, his death, and his resurrection can give us life. When we repent of our sins and trust him and live our lives for Jesus, we experience salvation. And then for every single one of us in this room, if there's somebody number one, who is God, and number two, who has provided salvation for you and I, then guess what he deserves? Worship. And so I want to close this morning simply praying for you and I and praying that we would respond in worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning and the opportunity that we have to gather and worship you to celebrate the sending of your son Jesus, his life and his birth on this earth and his death and his resurrection on our behalf, Father. I pray in this moment, God, that our hearts would be fixed on you, that we would worship you for who you are. We would worship you for what you've done for us. God, for us who are here that just don't know you, who are searching and seeking, that today would be the day of salvation. Help us to trust you and help us to follow you and ultimately worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.